When I'm trying to explain to them something maybe they could have done differently, I say, as the patient or family member, I heard you say this. So it's not necessarily what you said, it's the perception of what, you know, I heard you say. When this doctor, to take the bad example, when he was saying that my husband was circling the drain, he wasn't trying to be callous. That might just be a medical term that he would use with a colleague, but explaining to him how it felt to hear him say that might make him stop and pause in the future if he goes to say it to a non-medical person. So I've tried to really make my comments with the doctors and the nurses that we train more neutral and more, you know, I'm explaining to them what the patient feels or hears as opposed to maybe what they're trying to say. It doesn't matter what you said, it's, it matters what my perception was. Welcome to Difficult Conversations, lessons I learned as an ICU physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of the Orsini Way. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better, this is the podcast for you. Well, welcome everyone to this episode of Difficult Conversations. This is Dr. Anthony Orsini, and I'm happy to be with you again today. You know, one of the most exciting things of having my own podcast is that I get to interview some amazing people from every field. Today, I'm especially excited because I get to interview Elizabeth Port. Chris, Liz is a dear friend of mine who I've known for, I think, eight years. She also works with me at the Orsini Way, where she is Director of Operations, Liz really runs the Orsini way. She's involved in really every aspect of marketing, scheduling, and teaching. And I know she already knows this, but I want everyone else to hear this. Without Liz, there is no Orsini way. It would not exist. So I would not do it without her. I asked Liz to be one of our first guests because she has an incredible story to tell, actually several incredible stories to tell, and I'll let her pick which one she wants to choose to speak about. But Liz has been on the receiving end of several difficult conversations, uh, more than her fair share, I might say. What's so amazing about Liz is what she's been able to do with each and every life-changing situation. And what is most incredible about her, and thankfully this is not a video podcast because I'm sure I'm going to make her blush, but what's most incredible about Liz is that she took every one of her experiences, good and bad, and found a way to turn it into a positive. And Early on, she saw a contrast in medicine between healthcare professionals who communicated with her beautifully and helped her in the most difficult times and other healthcare professionals who just seemed to make things worse with their actions and in their words. And so I just want to say thank you, Liz, for being here. Thank you for all you do. And I think everybody is going to be so excited to hear your story. So thanks for uh, being on. Thanks for having me. That's <laughs> quite an introduction. Yeah, I, I don't give you too many compliments, but um, I got a fat head. But you got a fat head, but you deserve every bit of it. And I really look up to you and I think you're an amazing person. And so I want everyone else to hear about your story. So, as I mentioned uh, in the introduction, 
you are the director of operations, which means you do everything. And you and I first met when you worked with me at the BBN Foundation. And that's kind of an interesting story on how we met. You want to just go ahead and share that with everyone and just tell them how you became involved in the Parrot Advisory Committee and how we, we met. Sure. So it's my pleasure to tell this story. I was a very successful fashion industry person, had a really great job that I loved. I traveled internationally. And then in 2001, I gave birth to boy-girl twins. And as any parent knows, traveling when you have little ones is super complicated. So I decided to stay home. And then in 2003, Annabelle was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. So I was already a stay-at-home mom, and now I was the stay-at-home mom to a child with a medical condition and a pretty serious one at that. So I felt the need to help and to become involved in my community so that I would have, I went, could go from having no medical knowledge to at least being part of a community where I could get some. So I became part of the family advisory council at our local children's hospital. And as part of that, we were sent to a conference in Washington to talk about the new patient and family care initiative that was being promoted within our hospital buildings. So during that conference, I saw a presentation by a very large local children's hospital that talked about the use of experiential role play in teaching healthcare providers what it felt like from the patient perspective. And I thought that was so insightful to have doctors and nurses act like patients or family members so that they could see what it was really like. And I thought it was such a great idea. I went back to our director of our children's hospital and said, I have a great idea. We have to do this. And he said, actually, there's somebody already doing that. I want to introduce you to Dr. Anthony Orsini. So I think I called you and never stopped bothering you until you let me come and help you. And yeah. The rest is history. So what's really interesting is the funny part of that story. And what I remember is that after I met you on that day that you came to our first Breaking Bad News session, you were not very happy with the chairman of pediatrics because <laughs> you had said that you had heard that Dr. Orsini was using professional actors to right. train the residents on Breaking Bad News. And you felt that that was just terrible and that it should be parents that are playing this. I had already tried with parents and just realized that they just didn't have the depth of acting ability. So, but you said something really funny after the whole day was over. And I guess that comes out, your Brooklyn comes out in you. <laughs> and you said, you said I'm, I'm really, really pissed. And I said, why? And you said, now I have to apologize to the chairman and I hate, <laughs> I hate to apologize. <laughs> so so true. Uh, I said the whole time with my head hung down. It was like, I was so wrong. How could I be so wrong? <laughs> yes. And uh, I, I know from personal experience that my wife doesn't like the bit she's wrong either. So, but that was the beginning of our relationship and we yeah. did BBN foundation for a while and you were a volunteer teacher and then became that volunteer instructor, I should say, to teach these doctors how to communicate better. And then you just stayed along with me as we went through the Orsini way and started teaching patient experience. But you were such an important part in the teaching of these young residents on how to discuss bad news. And, and what's really great about what we do is in the Orsini way is we, we get non-medical people who've had some great stories who can validate that what we're teaching is correct. And so 
the topic of this podcast is difficult conversations. And as I mentioned in the introduction, you've had some difficult conversations in your life and tell this whatever story you want to tell, because I think there's so much that the audience can learn from your experience and, and how you were able to get through these tragic times and now be someone who's teaching physicians how to communicate. And so I think everybody should just hear one of the great stories that you have. So I don't think I would be able to be of any help to you if I didn't have these stories. And I think that a lot of times when I share them with the people that we train, there's kind of an aha moment that happens when they say, wow, people really do communicate this way. So, I mean, I can give you a good one or a bad one. Which one do you want first? I think the we had talked about the contrast between the when your husband was sick and you, your husband and you had a lot of difficult conversations and what you learned at that experience that you had already been working with me. Yeah. But I think it's a great story to tell everybody about what happened to Ken and what you learned from that and the difference between the two physicians. So I thought that having a child with a medical condition really made me an expert in how to be an advocate and how to be a mom and how to be a communicator. And then working for you for so long, I gained so many incredible skills in communication. And then my family was just thrown for a loop. So as you know, Ken was on a business trip to Orlando and turned out had a raging sepsis infection that was ravaging his body as he traveled. And when he got to Florida from New Jersey, he was very, very, very ill. And within uh, 48 hours of landing in Florida, he was in the hospital. And by the time I got there, he was dying and he had a full sepsis infection caused by diverticulitis and a blockage in his colon and had an eight hour surgery. And when he came out of the surgery, he was in the ICU and they let me in to see him. And when I asked the resident how he was, the resident very casually over his shoulder said, he's circling the drain. Oh my God. And as a wife, as you know, thinking about my two children at home who may never see their father again, and as an instructor of communication skills for physicians, instead of just collapsing to the ground, like I think anybody would have, and probably what I would have had I not have the experience that I've had with you, I was able to say to him that that was not an appropriate way to communicate. And I'd like to speak to you outside. And that's when the Brooklyn really came out because (laughs) I was angry. That's just a horrible thing to say to somebody. We don't know whether he's going to live or die the next minute. And here's this guy equating my husband to the water in the toilet bowl. So channeling every instructor ounce of existence that I could, I pulled him outside and said that I would like for him to speak to me the way he would speak to a colleague and I would stop him if I didn't understand him. And he couldn't believe that I would even dare to tell him that he wasn't communicating well. And It turns out I had to have him removed from my husband's case because he just couldn't communicate with me in any way that made sense. And I had to have a new resident come in. 
But throughout that time, Ken's 23 days in the hospital, 12 days in a coma, there was a lot of times where I was very grateful for the communication skills that I had, but always thought to myself, what about the family member that's sitting by the bedside that doesn't have the ability to question the physician, question the nurse, or just say, I think something's wrong, I need your help. And what tragic events would occur if people didn't feel like they could say something? I think that's a couple of things you said that are really profound. One is that the doctor had no idea what he did wrong. And I think, you know, in most people who are lay people wouldn't don't know this, but there's very little communication training for physicians. Some people are natural good communicators and some people just aren't, but there's certainly no excuse not to show or try to show some compassion. If you're trying and and you trip over your words or have a difficult time, that's one thing. I can teach communication to just about anybody, as you know, but that was pretty profound. The other thing that you said is that you felt empowered as an instructor because you knew what to expect. You You knew that this is not appropriate and that you were emboldened to say something, but it is sad that many people would not be able to speak up or just think that it's not their place. And certainly when you are worried about your husband literally dying, those are not really words of comfort, are they? (laughs) It really, and it was the interesting part was my in-laws had flown in the next day. And every time I went to question a doctor or nurse, whoever, they would get upset with me. They would say, it's not your job. Don't say anything. Don't ask them a question. Don't. And a couple times, you know, we caught some medical errors. We caught some things that were making my husband uncomfortable that didn't have to happen because I was not afraid to say, hey, wait a second. Can we just stop for a second and see if this is okay? But the older generations don't feel like you can do that. They feel like, well, what do you know? You didn't go to medical school. And I didn't know the medicine and I never said I did, but I do know my husband and I did know when something was wrong. So yeah, every time, and I've been given quite a few aha moments and life lessons, I say to myself, like, how do I help the next person from not having to experience that kind of thing? So if that doctor never says circling the drain again, I've done my job. Like I've accomplished my mission. Yeah, because the, the way you describe him, he, he was shocked that he even said anything wrong. He couldn't imagine what he could have said to upset me and or how he needed to change the tone of the conversation to be more accommodating, which I found horrifying because my husband was not sick when he left, or at least we didn't think he was. This was all quite shocking. And now he's in a coma and he could potentially die. And this guy just needed to get to the next patient and he wasn't stopping to acknowledge the moment that he was in. And I felt the need to have this teaching moment with him, which is your fault, by the way, to take him (laughs) outside and be like, no, no, we need to have a chat about how this is supposed to go and this isn't it. So yeah, it's just, it, and it's happened more than once. And it's hard to be level-headed when you're calling somebody out like that. But your level head prevails because they'll remember the conversation. They won't remember if you yelled at them, but they'll remember, you know, the calm approach, I guess, I hope. And as you know, I really do believe that 
physicians, I believe in humans in general are compassionate people and that physicians and nurses and healthcare professionals are especially compassionate. It's conveying that compassion that sometimes is difficult. And that's what you and I teach. And there's ways of doing that. And I think perhaps that physician has never been called out on that before. Perhaps he was caught up in a busy day. Perhaps he was being very task oriented. But in the end, when you have a patient who's sick or is dying, the the words and the manner in which you convey that compassion makes all the difference in the world. As I tell my fellow physicians and when I do my workshops or in my book, it's not about you. And I may be, as a physician, extremely busy, but I have to remember it's not about me getting home or getting to the next patient that if I just took two more minutes and sat with you and leaned over and used the proper body language, uh, that interaction would have gone much better for you. I think you'd agree. Oh, absolutely. And I could even tell you, so when we got home from Florida after 23 days, it was very important that Ken have a surgeon at home that could follow his case. And we were referred to somebody who was very prestigious in his field. And we were told you're not going to like his bedside manner. You're not, may not like his attitude, but he's really, really smart. And he's a really great doctor. And, and I agree with you. I do believe that physicians want to be compassionate and want to help their patients, but other things get in the way. So I kind of braced myself for what this visit might hold and walked in, you know, kind of on my guard. And when we got there from the minute we walked into the office, So Ken was 200 pounds when he left, came home, he was 140 pounds with a walker, really very, still very, very ill. And we, you know, came into the office and the nurses literally came out from behind the desk and they were like, Ken, we're so happy to meet you. Come with us. You don't have to wait in the waiting room. Come right inside. And they made him comfortable. And the doctor came in the room and he rolled up his chair and he sat right down in front of Ken with this hundred page file folder of everything that had occurred in the past 23 days. And he sat down and he looked Ken right in the eye and said, I just want to tell you that you are incredible and you have done such a great job getting better and doing everything that you should. And the very worst part is behind you. And that every day from here on in is going to get better. And we're going to get you back to where you need to be and get you back to your life. But you're great. And from now on, everything's going to be okay. And I swear he walked out of the office standing a little straighter, his head a little bit higher because he really felt like, oh, wow, I'm going to be okay. The doctor just said I'm going to be okay. And it really was astounding to me. And I'd already had all this experience and all this knowledge, but there it was right in front of me. I just witnessed it firsthand. What a contrast between how someone who communicates well and someone who doesn't. And I think now with your work with me in the Orsini way, we're trying to teach that. And not only when it comes to difficult conversations with tragic news, but just how how to speak to somebody, you know, in everyday life. How's a doctor speak to a patient when they say hello and make them seem special? We've done some some teaching of HR professionals. So those are difficult conversations too. Life-changing moments don't have to be about death and dying. Life-changing moments can be about separation of employment, can be about a divorce. As one social worker once told me many, many years ago, 
there's very similarities between death and divorce. It's sure. redefining yourself. Losing a job, and- losing, a, you know, all of that is so, they're all so linked together. Your emotions and your grieving process of any loss, it doesn't matter what the loss is, the grieving process exists. So, yeah. And when we're and, uh, training family advisors, it's also really important to explain that it's not just about your pain. When you're telling your story, it's important to express your pain, but it has to be done in a way that the doctor can take something from it and grow and change. It can't be, you know, I have this terrible story to tell and I want to keep telling it because it makes me feel better. There has to be the evolution of what happens next. So that's actually leads me into my very next question. You know, as a non-medical person who spends most of their time training physicians, nurses, and medical people on how to have those difficult conversations, it's difficult, right? Because some would say, well, you're probably going to be, maybe people won't take you seriously because you're not in medicine. Mm -hmm. What's been your experience when you're giving that news from the patient point of view? And how do you get around that? So I definitely at first felt there was some resistance that I wasn't a medical professional telling medical professionals how to do their jobs. So the way I learned to rephrase my communications with them is when I'm trying to explain to them something maybe they could have done differently, I say, as the patient or family member, I heard you say this. So it's not necessarily what you said, it's the perception of what, you know, I heard you say. So like when this doctor, to take the bad example, when he was saying that my husband was circling the drain, he wasn't trying to be callous. That might just be a medical term that he would use with a colleague, but explaining to him how it felt to hear him say that might make him stop and pause in the future if he goes to say it to a non-medical person. So I've tried to really make my comments with the doctors and the nurses that we train more neutral and more, you know, I'm explaining to them what the patient feels or hears as opposed to maybe what they're trying to say so that they can't dispute. I, well, I didn't mean to say that, or I didn't say that. It doesn't matter what you meant, or it doesn't matter what you said. It's, it matters what my perception was. And that's something that I think we've all learned. And with your help, I've learned to reword and rephrase things so that there's not a battle. I'm not trying to give medical advice. I'm not trying to act like the doctor or the nurse. I'm just trying to tell you what it feels like from the patient perspective. And that's a perspective that most medical professionals never get. They never hear in a safe environment what it's like from the patient perspective. They're only either getting yelled at about what they said after the fact or you know, being complimented, but they never get that safe environment to learn how to say something that's really hard to say. And I have to uh, say that I do, when you and I are teaching together and we're teaching some, even senior physicians who maybe have been at this for 20 years that we train, I can see they pay even more attention and hang on to even your words, even more than mine. And because you validate what we teach and you could say, well, I've been there. And I can tell you that just the idea that you sat down made a huge difference or you just didn't connect with the patient. And so it's been, I think I agree a thousand percent that any training of physicians when it comes to communication 
has to be done with both people inside and outside the medical field. If you just do one or the other, I think you're, you're losing something. And the fact that you've had to get through many of these difficult conversations is, is a testament to your resiliency and really what you've been able to do that. And so each physician that you train sees about 250,000 patients, patient interaction. So that's a lot of physicians over the last eight or 10 years that you and I have trained in. And that's a lot of patients. And that's why we continue to do this with the patient experience. So, you know, the name of my book is called It's All in the Delivery. That's the name of our program. You and I have come up with that for patient experience. And communication is all about it's all in the delivery. And so I've had people tell me, boy, this works with my husband too. So I don't know, has has Ken said that to you? Because Lauren says no. that to me. You know? No, Ken hasn't said it to me. <laughs> Definitely not. My two 19-year-olds might say, you know, we think you might have been working when we were having that conversation. Yeah, if I want to get Lauren to let me buy a car or something like that, and she's saying no, because she's she'll always say, wait a second, um, I know what you're doing here. This is it's all in the delivery and um, you're giving away so, our secrets. You can't do that. I, I know. I I wrote the book, and now every spouse can read Everybody it. But, knows. but we can use communication to really help form relationships, and really, that's what medicine is about, right? That's what you know. We're going to talk to some other leaders in business about you know leadership is all about communication, right? And, and we've done that together, and we all have had bosses who were great communicators, and we love them. One of my first bosses, I'd, I'd walk through fire for her because she created such loyalty, but it's all about communication. And I don't think there's a person in this world that hasn't had a difficult conversation. And so I'm really excited to continue to work with you. And so what advice do you have for any family member, just in closing here, if you could just say to somebody who's listening out there who's either had a really difficult conversation in healthcare, let's go back to the tragedy of either Ken or some of the other tragic news that you've heard, when you are on that end, now you were felt emboldened because when that doctor said circling the drain, you were already an instructor and yeah. your personality is not shy, quiet. You're not, <laughs> you're, you're not a shy personality. And so you were brought up to speak up. But what advice do you have when the person who is receiving the tragic news from the first responder, from the doctor, from the nurse, the person sitting on the chair and being told that they have cancer, what, what advice would you give to them? So having sat in that cancer chair too, myself, I think there's a couple things I think that resonate with me. One is, I think it's important to remember, like we said in the beginning, that the physician or nurse really does want to help you. They're not trying to hurt you or communicate badly. They just might not know that they're doing it. So it is okay to ask a question, ask for something to be repeated, or ask for something to be explained that you don't know. It's okay to do that. It's okay to stop and say, I'm not really sure I just understood what you said, can you write that down for me? All of these things help you process the information that's being given to you because especially when it's tragic or even bad news, you're really not going to remember much about the conversation. So asking for clarification or for something to be written down is not disrespectful and it will help you going forward. And just understanding that 
physicians really do want to do the right thing. They just might not have the skill. And I think it's really important to understand. And I think it's a very, it's a not a known fact that doctors and nurses, they don't get any training in how to do this. And that's why I think the way we train and the process that we put our students, for lack of a better word, through really leads to some aha moments because they just don't understand how they're being. I keep going back to the word perception, but it's everything. So if as a patient to feel even just a little bit more empowered to say, I need a little bit more help than this, that will change the course and the trajectory of your outcome as well. I think that's great. One of the things that you've heard me quote Rabbi Kushner, who's the author of When Bad Things Happen to Good People, and I am a big fan of Dr. Kushner, but Rabbi Kushner makes the distinction between curing and healing, and he's curing is making a problem go away. Curing is curing cancer, but healing is providing people with the resources and other people to help them get through a problem that they may or may not have go away. And I think if we can just remember those kind and wise words, that the healing starts from the moment that you're told you have cancer. And when you're in your second story, the the surgeon who told Ken that he did wonderfully and how great he was, and Ken stood up a little bit taller in your words, with just his words, he started the healing process. And this is why I love communication. It's so powerful by changing one word, by doing something different, you can make the difference in people's lives. You could make your patients start to heal immediately. And, or you could just make people feel better by being a, a good communicator. So this has been a real pleasure. I sure I'll speak to you again later on today <laughs> because we're working together, yes. but, but I wanted people to hear your story. And so I think this is uh, really a good, I think people are going to be inspired. I think people will be emboldened. I think people will understand how important communication is in medicine and their private lives. And and I think you've been a great and inspiring guest. So thank, thank you, you so much. <laughs> thank you for all you do. And thank you for having me. Thank you again, Liz, for coming. If you want more information about the Orsini Way, you can find us on social media. Also, the website, theorsiniway.com. If you have any questions or if you have an interview that you uh, think someone would be a great person to interview, please do not hesitate to email either me or Liz. And you can contact us through the website. So. If you like this podcast and you want to hear more inspiring stories and learn how to be a better communicator, we are going to have some great experts in their field. And I think you'll leave feeling a little bit better about the world each and every time. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button and I will be back again next Tuesday. So thank you and stay safe, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment and review. To contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at theorsiniway.com.